Bandwidth for Communication Lab is provided by Emphasis, world leaders in business writing training. For free resources and course information, go to www.writing-skills.com. Hello, and today, a tiger that becomes a giraffe, and who knows the meanings of brain candy, noob, and foodoir. I'm joined today by Rob Ashton. Hello. And Lynn Murphy, linguistics lecturer at Sussex University and author of the Separated by Common Language blog, Observations on British and American English. Lynn Murphy, why the blog? Well, I, I suppose I started it because I was a bit bored at the time, but um, I, I've lived here six years when I'd started it in 2006. And having come from the States and being a linguist, I was very aware of the differences between American and British English. But a lot of the things that I was noticing were not the kinds of things that you get in those lists of truck versus lorry, Mm. torch versus flashlight. So um, I started to record these and and to write about it a bit. let other expats know that the blog existed and it grew from there. So is it, is it just about the spelling? Or is it, it's, it's more than that, isn't it? It's a lot more than yeah. that. I mean, the spelling is a very simple thing, although actually not that simple. I mean, everybody knows about things like O-R versus O-U-R and things like that, but there are all sorts of little spellings mm. that one misses, like mollusk with a C versus mollusk with a K and mm. strange things like that. But it's not going to be good enough if you're writing for an audience in one country or the other to just set your spell check to a different language. Mm. Um, there are huge differences in vocabulary, as we all know. There are differences in grammar, which prepositions you might use with a verb, for example, mm. or um, certain sentence structures. And uh, yeah, also in differences in, in the way we use language in terms of the way we structure information as well. So. Yeah, because it's the phraseology as well, isn't it? I mean, does mm. it, do, do people get confused? All the time. Yeah. I mean, the vocabulary is probably the the clearest place where people get confused. Um, I had one uh, reader who wrote to me with the story of having read a a headline in Scotland that said something like, theft at house, residence gutted. And she thought, how crude of them to mention these people's evisceration (laughs) in the headline of this this, book. of this article, and it was only after reading that she, the whole article that she realized that there must be something else going on here. Mm. Um, but I do hear from people a lot saying, oh, I'd always assumed that this word meant that, and now I know that I, I've misunderstood it for a long time. So there's been all that confusion, all that misunderstanding, for goodness, for yeah. goodness knows how long. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're, you're clearing that up. Well, I'm trying to, yeah. 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 How long has the, the blog been going? Since 2006 for... Nearly yeah. six years now. And you've got, um, I mean, you have a, a, a quite a loyal following, don't you? I do. modesty aside. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing, though, is that, I, you know, I keep track of, of how people access my blog. And about 15% of my readers every week are people who come wanting to know how to spell the interjection, whoa. So <laughs> e- even though I don't have... I mean, even though I do have a lot of regular readers, I also have a lot of inter- incidental readers, and it always surprises me what are the things that become the really popular posts. Do you know, I actually was looking up how to spell the word woe about six weeks ago, and it didn't occur to me to go to... I'll go to your blog for lots of other reasons, yeah. but it didn't occur to me to I, go I to, for that reason. I think it's high on the Google. Uh, uh, okay. I, I'd like to know how you spell ew. 
Ew. Which is an Americanism. Oh, yeah, yeah, sort of the disgust. Is it ew. ew. Yeah. Yeah. I would spell it E-W. Right. Um, but the thing that frustrates me about that as a keen Scrabble player is it's not allowed. So um, E-W. People mm. spell it E-W, yeah. Yeah. How do these differences occur? I mean, the, the, the question does arise who's right, but it, sounds, it feels like a bit of a silly question, really. Mm. Well, some of them occurred because you know, the people who originally went to America um, from England were taking their own dialectal variations with them. So some of the things that you find in America are there because of, of the particular immigrants that we had. Um, others are because the, the languages have been growing since then and developed in their own ways. So sometimes mm. it's, it's just that something became fashionable in one country and wasn't the fashion in the other country. And sometimes it's that you know, there have been developments in one country that, that weren't taking place at the same time in the other. I mean, if you look at something like the vocabulary around automobiles or motor cars, um, so much of that is different. And it's because mm. you know, that's an invention that was developing in its own ways in the two countries very separately at that time. Mm. Now, we're used to seeing a lot of uh, American TV over here, which is where we get most of our, you know, I feel I can speak the American language quite fluently, thanks to things like Friends mm. and, and various other sort of uh, TV soap operas. I'm guessing that uh, American people get lots of British sitcoms as well and, and, and programmes. I'm just wondering if there's, um, who do you think is more aware of the differences? Well, I think it's pretty clear that the British are more aware of Americanisms. I think they're both both are aware that there are differences. Mm. Um, Americans who are watching British television are, are actually few in number because it's sort of the more um, intellectually um, <laughs> yeah the, those sorts of channels that show original. Um, British television, and a lot of it comes over and is translated. So, you know, we had, you know, we've had many shows, um, for instance, uh, Till Death Do Us Part. Mm. Oh, yes. Became a long, a long, long running program with uh, Archie Bunker as the character in America. So, and and those completely lose their Britishness Mm. in the translation. But back to your question. The office is both, isn't it? Yeah. That's an example. Presumably the British version had a, a much sort of smaller audience or was put out maybe on a on NPR or the public public PBS yeah yeah. um but uh yeah it's uh, the the American version is the one that's always going to be more popular well the thing about American television series of course is that they're much longer um and so they get sold um and watched over and over again um in different kinds of markets yeah so that's a a difference that helps the selling of American English, I suppose. But back to the question of who knows who knows what better. Um, yes, the British are going to be a lot more familiar with a lot more American words. There's a lot more traffic of American words to mm. Britain than there is in the other direction. But at the same time, I do tend to think that people overestimate their knowledge of American English a lot of the times. Sure and that's, yeah. yeah, and that's why we do get these situations where people go on believing for years mm. that that they um, have understood something that went on. I mean, I've been married to an Englishman or living with an Englishman for nearly 10 years. And when we watch American television, there are always things I'm laughing at that he's not, that I then ah. have to, you know, so, you know, he enjoys the program. He thinks he's getting all the jokes, but so, there are so a the, lot the, of going the, Those sort of cultural differences, those nuances <clears throat> that only you can pick up. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of time it's, it's wordplay. 
where you know yeah. a second meaning of the word isn't known. Or and I'm like guessing that. he doesn't even hear them. No, they sort of no. Sail over his yeah, head. they sail yeah. over his head. Do you have but, to explain you know, them to him? Yeah, well, I mean, I do. Even up now. No, I do. I mean, and the thing is, he's lived with a with an American for ten years. He lived in the states for six years, but he's still, you know, his his knowledge is imperfect, and as as is anyone's, really. But. Yeah. Mm. But it is easy to to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, we've been exposed to so much American English, we know it all. I mean, most Americans don't know it all because there's a huge amount of variation mm. within the country mm. as well. So. Yeah. Now, I know you've got, uh, there's, there's a lot of interest here because you've got quite a few Twitter followers, haven't you? What's the sort of, do you any idea what the sort of split is between American and English people it's, paying attention to you? I haven't looked at it in Twitter recently. I mean, obviously, there are a lot more Americans, so it's going to be... I'm imbalanced that way. But I'd, I would say per capita, I probably have quite a few British mm. readers versus American readers. But I also get a lot of Australians. I get a lot of people in other countries who are learning English mm. and want that insider who are translators. Um, so it's it's all over. I wanted to ask you about that, actually, the, the difference between... Uh, well, certainly there are differences between other... Uh, uh, other countries that, that speak English as a, as a native tongue. So you mentioned Australia there. Mm. Um, I know when I went to Australia a few years back, there were a few things that, that tripped me up that really just mm. took me completely by surprise. Manchester was the, do, do you know what Manchester is? And it certainly was then in Australia, in Australian English. No, no, no it, it means bed linen. Manchester. <laughs> yeah. Now it, our Australian listeners are now listening going, yeah, you know, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's a historical link there, you know, from the cotton mills of Lancashire originally. But no, you know, I've, I've seen signs, it said spring sale, 20% off all Manchester. And you think, <laughs> What's that all about? You yeah. know, so there are real differences. But I wanted to ask you, Lynn, about um, Canadian English and, and um, US English, mm-hmm. uh, because... I, Am I right in thinking there are some differences? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Canadian tends to keep more of the British spelling, but not entirely. So Canadians um, would use O-U, for they instance? They use the O-U, but then there are other American spellings that they use as well. I can't think of exactly which ones offhand. They sound more American than British, but there are definitely, especially in certain areas of Canada where you'd hear um, the the result of having a lot of particularly Scottish yes, immigration. Um, but as members of the Commonwealth, they've kept a closer um, relationship with Britain than, than the US has. Yes, because we always talk about American English, but we do. really mean mm. US English, don't we? Or maybe we need mean Canadian as well sometimes, but sometimes, not always. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I mean, there's loads of I mean, I, I just use the about test. I ask them to say about, and if they say a boot, a boot I know they're a Canadian. Yeah. Ex- except if they're from the East, they might ah, not. Ah, so I breaks, didn't know that. Breaks down. <laughs> breaks down. You see, we think we know, but we don't know really. <laughs> but I think we have to talk about uh, when a tiger becomes a giraffe and this, uh, this wonderful... Feel free to join in as well, Lynn, with this one. F- wonderful story about this uh, six and a three-and-a-half-year-old girl. Before you go any further, shall I just... Yeah, I yeah, just bring, yeah. I mean, show me this, yeah. this, this loaf. Know. Okay, you can <laughs> hopefully hear that on the sound. This, you're not going to want to eat it now, I've mauled it. But <laughs> does that look like a, a giraffe or a tiger to you or, or any form of animal? Or just a loaf of bread. Or just a loaf of bread. No. It looks like a loaf of bread to It me. looks like a loaf of bread. Yeah. Well, um, this is commonly known as tiger bread. 
um, because it has a pattern on it, which hasn't come out particularly well in this specimen. Do you know, we went all over Brighton to try and get a cop- try and get some giraffe bread or tiger bread. Um, normally called tiger bread because of the pattern on the on the crust um, and because it tastes differently, presumably tastes of tiger Actually, bread. Actually, if you go on Wikipedia, there's a really good picture of some real tiger bread. Yes. And you can see the, the, like the, the striated pattern on it. So that, there you go, there you go, yeah. folks. Is it Marmite. Um, stripes. Uh, no, it's some no. sort of glaze they put over it. Okay. Do you know what? I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna try some. And see just trying to. Well, while, while Rob's speaking, no, um, I'll, I'll just, it's no. a bit like uh, that cricket bloke when they asked mm. him to commentate and he had a mouthful of cake. Um, <laughs> but the story is that this three and a half year old girl wrote to Sainsbury's saying. Um, I think it's silly that you're calling it tiger bread because it doesn't look anything like a tiger. I think you should call it giraffe bread. And and after receiving uh, the sort of the standard, we'll get back to you letter. She did, in fact, get a letter. Shall I read it out to them, Rob? Yes, this, this, yes, please this amazing do. letter, if I can just uh, find it on here. This was from Chris King, who um, at the time was a customer service manager at Sainsbury's, the, the UK supermarket. He says, um, thanks so much for your letter. I think renaming tiger bread, giraffe bread, is a brilliant, uh, uh, boldified idea. It looks uh, much more like the blotches on a giraffe than the stripes on a tiger, doesn't it? Um, it's called Tiger Bread because the first baker who made it a long, with lots of O's, time ago, thought it looked stripy like a tiger. Maybe they were a bit silly. <laughs> and they did actually change it, didn't they? Oh, uh, ab- absolutely. Sainsbury's, I mean, I think everybody else still calls it Tiger Bread. Yeah, as of uh, uh, the end of January this year, uh, it's been called Giraffe Bread. Um, because the pattern, uh, apparent, and uh, you're absolutely right. In the Sainsbury's version, at least, it does look more giraffe patterned than than tiger patterned. What really, I, I mean, there are some lovely details here. I mean, certainly Sains, Sainsbury's reputation has, you know, that Sainsbury's has been a real winner with this yeah, one. because this went really viral, didn't it? It, it did, and in fact, um, Chris King, the, the person concerned, um, has... Uh, uh, a Facebook page. He didn't set it up. His fans set it up. And, and when we looked, he had uh, more than 4,000 likes. Uh, the page is Chris King from Sainsbury's is a legend. <laughs> <laughs> but was it really Chris King? Well, you know, he, he didn't the set it up. Post, this, they yeah, reckon it was a lady that was pretending to be Chris King. Oh, really? Mm, that's the backstory. Oh, the, I mean, gosh, you, conspiracy theories abound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, what I think this shows, it, uh, and there were some lovely details here. I mean, Lily, the little girl who wrote the letter originally, um, signed it, love from Lily Robinson, age three and a half. I uh, suspect she had a little bit of help. Um, but Chris King signed it. Chris King, age 27 and a third. Um, <laughs> and, and, but what this says, that the serious point here is that from a customer care point of view, the the author of the letter has, has really taken, you know, not sent a pat reply uh, mm. and has taken the time to, to match the tone of the original letter. And this is something that um, certainly I've seen people not doing an awful lot. It's a really common problem that they'll get a letter in written in one tone, in one tone, and then they'll just reply like a robot. So, mm. in fact, I've even seen somebody receive a letter where they complimented the company, and they got a, a reply saying, "Thank you for it, for our, your interest in our company. If you have any complaints, then please contact this person." So they wrote back saying, "No, I didn't have any complaints. I was telling you." I really like your product and, and thank you very much. And then they wrote back again saying, um, thank you for your letter again. Um, please refer to blah, blah, blah. And by not matching the tone, or in this case, even reading the letter, it seems, they managed to turn somebody who was a real fan of the product 
into almost um, an active enemy you who know, would go out and say this company is is rubbish now chris king in this in this case has is, is, is done the opposite and um really not been afraid to use a little bit of humor certainly put a lot more humanity in the letter and i think treating people who write to you write to your company as human beings is is critical as is of course mm. reading the original letter it's a lovely story um if, if you've not uh, if you're listening and you've not had a chance to check this out go to the the emphasis blog we'll put that in the show notes um great story really nice lynn this thing that we just described about uh, the, the robotism of large corporates is this a problem in the u.s as well oh absolutely yeah and it's probably mostly um, American corporate jargon that that is complained about when mm. it comes over to to British English. Yeah. So, uh, Rob, what's a helicopter parent then? Ah, uh, yes, knew you were going to ask me that. I think, uh, or at least I thought, a helicopter parent was somebody who was so busy in their work life um, that they just sort of flew in and flew out, sort of managing their managing in inverted commas their their family. Uh, and then leaving and going back to to do some work again. That's what you thought. That's what I thought. And do they tend to have boomerang children? <laughs> <laughs> Quite probably, yes. I mean, these are these are words which allegedly came came into use last year in 2011. Although I have to say, I think one one of the ones on the list, noob. I mean, certainly in geek circles, a noob has been around for years. Yeah, I mean, this was the um, uh, uh, emphasis. We we compiled a list of. Um, terms that had at least entered the dictionary. So they, mm. they might have been in common parlance um, for years or in specialist circles, but they became, or rather not in common parlance, they've been used in specialist circles, but they became, came into common, more common usage last year. Um, and in fact, um, there's a quiz um, at, uh, at the Writing Skills blog, which again we'll link to in, in the show notes, um, listing... Ten of these words and asking for you know, asking you to, to guess uh, what they actually mean. Um, Lynn, you've taken this quiz. Is that, is that right? Yes, I have. How, how did you, do, you, how how did you, you get on? I got seven. Seven out of ten. It's not bad. I got a miserable five, was, <laughs> you know, which basically means that um, a chimpanzee with a with a keyboard could actually you know had a at least as good a chance as I had of, of no, uh, there of were three well. choices. <laughs> Yeah, fifty percent right. I don't, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I can't go there with the stats, but I certainly let's. It's, uh, suffice to say, I didn't do terribly well. Um, yeah, helicopter parent. It turns out um, is a parent who is overly involved in the uh, life of uh, his or her child. Did you know that? I can tell oh. you that anyone in education knows that. Meaning. Ah, yeah. okay. and they've yes. been hovered over. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, hover and hover. hover, so hover. Is it a bit like one of these sort of competitive? mums that you get no I, I don't think it's so, so much competitiveness as as just um not being able to let your child make their own mistakes mm. um so overly protective definitely i got um actually i no i didn't get new bright i <laughs> i just i thought i had got new bright but I, but i hadn't um and uh, what was the other one well there's um there's one that I particularly linked to, uh, robocall, because I think I know what that means and I can really relate to it because I hate, I hate it when you get those automated calls saying, this is for PI insurance or whatever. You can claim it back and phone this number now or press five to be put through to this. I always press five and then I go, 
This is an important message for the person who sent this call. <laughs> Your call has been logged and you will be sent to court. <laughs> Never mind. Did I'm you, probably wrong. I got I, I, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Did you get that one right? Oh, God. Yeah, oh, I, did, yeah. I, I told you I was rubbish. Um, I thought this was the experience of calling a helpline and being faced with a recorded series of instructions and pre-recorded information. Um, but, yeah, like, like many things, once you're told the answer, it seems obvious. What, what puzzles me about those robocalls, actually, is... People must respond to them, otherwise. Oh, yeah. I guess yeah. it's just it means they can send out so many yeah. that yeah. statistically, even a small audience—it's like spam—is still a very large exactly. audience, yeah. right? Very, okay. very small return, but it works, so they just keep doing it. So what we've got here is is uh, this sort of uh, the the oral or verbal equivalent of of spam. Yes, the, yeah. the audio version of spam. Now, yeah. mumpreneur surprises me because isn't that really obvious? Uh, yeah, and I got that. That's probably why I got that one right. Right, okay, so the one you got right. <laughs> that's the one I got right, yeah. Yeah, this is a woman who combines running her own business with looking after her children. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, it's... Uh, I, I don't know, I, I think <laughs> that's a really good one. Emberist. Em- oh, yeah, em- I don't want to give all em- of these away. I reckon em- people should berrist. go and try this for themselves, Definitely, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, so we'll put the link in the show notes for that, and uh, be interested to see... Um, I, think I must do it, actually. I abstained when you first suggested I do it. I think I was embarrassed I might get a very low score. But I think I will have a go at this You're now. the person who didn't do his homework. I didn't do, I didn't do didn't my homework. You didn't say my dog ate the quiz, sorry. <laughs> um, but does it, I mean, on a serious note, language is changing, isn't it? I think what mm-hmm. this illustrates is that, I mean, we get surveys like surveys and quizzes and dictionary entries every year. Um, I remember you know, years ago working with somebody who uh, used to work at Collins Dictionary. And, Mm. you know, in fact, what she did was she um, launched a competition for people to suggest their own words for... New um, words, make words up. Make words up. I like that. Yeah, some of them were horrible, actually. But um, I'd say the the most horrible one was mucus trooper. (laughs) (laughs) What did it mean? Mucus trooper is somebody who drags their carcass into work even though they have a heavy cold. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, well, that was the worst. But yeah, there there were um, there were others. But but yeah, I mean, Lynn, you're um, this this is a, um, an area in which I'm, you're certainly more qualified to to comment than I am. But um, it, it, English in this particular case is a very much a living language, isn't it? And Absolutely. And one one of the things that's interesting about the list of words here and and about the words that you see in these lists is how the words have been made. And that has changed a lot in English recently. So what we're seeing a lot of in this list are what we call blends, where you take two words and sort of smash them together. When I used to, when I first started teaching linguistics, it was hard to think of examples of those to to tell students about. We had brunch and smog, you know, smoke Mm. and fog and breakfast, lunch. But um, these days, everything that's coming up on, that's an exaggeration, but a lot of words such as um, mumpreneur, where you're not taking whole words and linking them together like a compound noun, and you're not just making up new words, you're sort of smashing things together and using mm. parts of words. Um, that's just exploded in recent years as, as a source of new words in English. Any, any idea why? Um, people love to play with language. And I think the, the internet has given people a platform for spreading 
um, those clevernesses around um, a bit more, and especially since in, in the internet you're seeing them written first, and and they can mm-hmm. spread that way rather than relying on the the verbal track, the word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the real difference here, isn't it? It's the ability to share. I suppose it's almost like um, the internet is speeding up the evolution of the language um by you know whereas you mm. it would have depended on somebody using the word down the pub who then told the word to somebody at work and mm. whereas now you you could almost do that in a couple of days yeah. and have millions of people being aware of this this new word so i love the idea of uh, what you were saying earlier Lynn, about uh, taking words and smashing them together and making other words it does sound a bit like the the large word collider you know sort of <laughs> it's just the word physics word super collider yeah yeah what... people love making them though because it is fun wordplay it is it is taking apart the word and finding out where it will join up with another word and there are a lot of interesting linguistic processes that are going on there that people are doing entirely subconsciously but making you know things that that sound clever and mm. and a bit of fun they drive some people crazy it drives a lot of people crazy that these are making it into the dictionary but it's, yeah, um, it's fun. Do, do they drive you crazy absolutely not i i love words i enjoy words i mean some i think are less needed than others mm. but um no it's a lot of fun and the other complaint that people have about these things going into the dictionary is Oh, I've never heard this before. And I always think that's a strange complaint. Why would you want a dictionary that's only words you've heard of? Yes. What would be the purpose of it? Yeah. So Your dictionary that's a lot smaller. So it's, uh... There's a lot to be said for learning a new word every day from your dictionary. I don't know why, do you do but that? Just, there is a, <laughs> a, there is a lot to be said. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're on Twitter, there are at least, you know, 50 organizations that will send you a word a day a word a to day. learn. Yeah. A new word, yeah. a, an unusual word. You have difference of the day on your blog. Don't I you? do, yeah. Is that on the blog or Twitter or both? That's on actually, it's on Twitter, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So each day I put up a, a difference between American and British English. Could be any kind of difference. Now you must be repeating if you start. I, I really well the the word of a day I've been doing since two thousand nine, and it is a challenge sometimes not to repeat because you know, say when Groundhog Day came round this year, everyone was suggesting that I write about Groundhog, but you know, I don't want to get in that kind of rut. And you said, I'm sure I've done this before. <clears throat> I, I, I keep a, I keep <laughs> a record, I've itself. done it. Um, but I do try to do new, new ones every day, and, and I mostly succeed. And the thing about my blog, I've got nearly 400 entries on that. Mm. Um, each of them will involve more than one mm. difference between the languages, and I have, am at no, no, no risk of, of running out. So in three years? In, you st- yeah. In three years, I'll still be going. That's amazing. That's yeah. uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have figured it was that many, but uh, yeah, that, that they are fascinating. Um, with the with the new words, it's uh, I'm I'm with you really, Lynn. It's um, I used to get um, a, a bit irritated, I suppose, and I, I think there are two kinds of um, people when it comes to grammar and and words. You know, mm. um, there are the describers, aren't there, and the, and the prescribers. And um, I used to be a prescriber, as in, this is the way it is. This is the way it should be, and you do it that way. Um, but I'm more of a describer now, saying, well, actually, this is the way it, this is, the way it is now. 
And, you know, this is the way people are speaking. And I think as long as it doesn't cause confusion, mm. and of course, when you use a new word first, it, it will cause confusion amongst a certain, amongst a general audience. Um, but Andy, you mentioned um, noob and, you know, that going yeah. from from techie land. To me, that's not, that, that's a geekism, a, a yeah. noob. And if you're new to a technology, you're a noob, N-O-O-B. But maybe it's just, it's become more you know more commonplace yeah I, mean, I can think and i find myself using words now that um i used to be really reluctant to use um because they just do the job uh, i mean leverage is one that i hate oh, it but, uh, as, but as as a verb you, mm. you know so let, i mean for a start surely the verb would be lever or lever um and leverage would be the noun but you know say so we can let you know we can leverage this um, but, uh, but after a while, you know, if, if so many people use it, then it just seems, it'd be like saying oblique instead of slash when you're describing, um, uh, an internet address, you, you That's know, that would be the Britishism um, would, yeah. would be oblique instead of slash. And Again, it's, it's internet related. It's interesting because there's a whole frame of, of fra- there's a whole load of words which, um, have, have become, they're nouns that have become words because of the internet, like, internet, like Google, I'm Googling something, yep. you know, or I'll, I'll Twitter it. Or they'll they'll tweet it, which is like the probably better way of saying it. But there's a whole range of words which have sort of evolved in that way. So a word for that taking a taking a noun and turning it into a verb. I know nominalization is taking a verb and um, turning it into a noun. Be verbalization. Verbalization. I mean, yeah. More yeah. more Guess generally, so. <laughs> we call it zero derivation. Zero derivation. Is that all one word? <laughs> no, it's two words. Um, our, that's another word for it too. Um, but zero derivation means you're making a new word out of an old word with a zero um, suffix or prefix. So you haven't you haven't added anything to the word, but you've okay. made a new word out of it. There you go. Bit of linguistic yeah. lingo for you. That's good. That's partly why you're here. Um, <laughs> you really are a word scientist. Aren't yeah, you? it's great. It's great. Uh, monetize right. is the other one actually. Money- um, oh. Yeah, but that's but to me that's an Americanism. Monetize. But yeah, well, so is leverage. Yeah, yeah leverage. Too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it's it does work both ways. We've talked about this on the blog on the podcast before, haven't we? With some Britishisms entering, it's not a one way street, is it? You get Britishisms entering um, U.S. English as well. There's actually a fantastic blog now called "Not One Off Britishisms," Britishisms actually, which is noob, mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, which is written by Ben Yagoda, who's a journalism ah. professor in. Um, in the states, now, and ben, he's you, go on. Sorry, he's tracking British um, Britishisms that are coming into American English and being used repeatedly in the media, um, and it is very interesting to to see what's now, going ben, on. Now, Ben, we've mentioned Ben on the podcast before because when we were talking um, to David Levin uh, mm. uh, a couple of episodes ago, mm. we were talking about um, this supposed backlash against Britishisms, which I think was actually a blog that Ben had written um, and had managed to get himself in quite a lot of interest. Uh, you know, David wasn't... David's from Wisconsin mm-hmm. um, and in a statistically insignificant uh, sample of one token American. Um, he wasn't aware of a backlash, but I think um, there's, there's obviously a wider I, thing here. I, don't, I think it's Ben's backlash. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> when you're, but but the, the blog is interesting because it lets yeah. you vote as... It, 
It's asking for Americans to vote on whether you think it's it's a step too far to accept oh, wow. whatever Britishism into American English or if it's okay. I wonder if, if it will let me vote or if it will block me because of my uh, IP you, address. <laughs> so I'm sorry it, you're from the UK, you can't vote in the UK. <laughs> it lets me vote, so it, it's, it's all right. But um, if you look at the comments there, you know, the comments are largely... Americans who are big fans of British English say, yes. oh, it's so charming. Let's, yes. let's say this as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I, I definitely another reason to go and check out his blog, actually. We'll put that in the show notes. So that's... Uh, Absolutely. Uh, so that's Noob, N-O-O-B. Not one off British Not one off Britishisms. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in. So I think we better leave it there. So many thanks to, to Rob Ashton. My pleasure, as always. Uh, do go to Lynn's blog, separatedbyacommonlanguage.blogspot.com. That's right, isn't it? That's right. And uh, do do the quiz. See how you get on with the quiz. So that's goodbye from me, Andy White, and uh, we'll see you next time on Communication Lab. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Communication Lab was brought to you by Emphasis Business Writing Trainers. Sign up for free training at www.writing-skills.com.